morning. Turn your Bibles, please, if you have them with you, to John chapter 14. John 14. I'm going to speak to you today about the peace of God. But before I get started, I'd like to explain to you a little bit about why I'm speaking to you about the peace of God. I met with Brady a few weeks ago, and he has a list of topics that people have requested to learn more about. And so we were looking at the list, and as I went down the list, I saw the peace of God. It just kind of jumped out at me. And so I specifically asked him if I could speak on this topic. And the reason is not because I'm an expert on the peace of God and I want to impart my wisdom to you. The reason is because this is something I've been struggling with. Um, Some of you know that I'm a police officer on the Kansas City Police Department. And I don't know if you've watched the news at all in the last year or so, but it's really not uh, the height of popularity right now for police officers. Maybe not the best time in the world to be in this profession. And uh, the media kind of portrays us as a bunch of, you know, jackbooted thugs who are just looking for some unarmed youth to kill. So, you know, I struggle with that. And uh, also, we've had a lot of civil unrest lately in the last year or so. And one of my duties, I'm on the tactical team for Kansas City, and so one of our duties is crowd control. So last year, at the end of last year, November, when we were coming up on the the grand jury in Ferguson, Missouri, was going to announce whether they were going to charge Darren Wilson or not, uh, we knew that there could, we knew that there would be civil unrest in Ferguson, but we suspected that we might have problems here too. So, uh, part of my job was to come up with a plan for what are we going to do for that? What are we going to do if, when, it, when the announcement is made? What are we going to do if we have problems here? And I got to tell you, for me, that was pretty stressful. And um, I've been a police officer for over 32 years, and that, that time was, I'd say, the only time in my career that I was, like, really, really nervous and worried about what was going to happen at work. <clears throat> and so I prayed a lot, but, you know, I, I have to admit that I probably worried more than I prayed. So with that as a background... And by the way, when the, ju- when the thing was announced, we did have some protests here, and we, didn't, we had some really minor problems. We kind of nipped it in the bud right away, and there were no big issues. And then, you know, last week or a couple of weeks ago was the anniversary of the shooting, and we had more protests. But, and again, I was one of the people responsible for coming up with that plan and dealing with that. So, um, you know... It, it makes you nervous in two ways, right? Because you're making a plan to send people out there into harm's way. And also, uh, if something goes wrong, if the plan's not good, then I'm responsible. So again, I'll say I worried maybe more than I prayed. And so I struggle with that, which is why I asked to speak on this topic. So let's look at John chapter 14. Before we get started, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your word, and thank you for your promise that we can have peace through your Son. 
We know that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And that lamp shines just a little bit ahead, just enough for the next few steps. And so I pray that as we take those steps, that we would just follow the light of your word. I pray that you'd speak to hearts this morning. I know there are people here who are dealing with stress and worry. And I pray that this would be a comfort to them and that your word would comfort them and guide them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, John chapter 14. Let me give you the setting of this. This is the night before Jesus is crucified. In chapter 13, he's just celebrated the Passover or what we call the Last Supper with his disciples. He sent Judas out. And he said, One of, Judas is going to betray me. He didn't say his name, of course. But, and then he sent Judas out to go do it. So Jesus knew what was coming. He knew that that night he was going to be arrested. He knew that the next day he was going to be crucified. So that's the background of what we have here in John chapter 14. Look at verse 1. This is what Jesus says the night before his crucifixion. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Then look down, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So Jesus, at maybe the most stressful time of his entire life, tells his disciples, Hey, don't, don't worry. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. What, what does the Bible mean when it says peace? Okay, peace has a lot of different meanings, right? The world's definition of peace is mostly negative. What I mean by that is the world's definition of peace is like we're not at war right now. That's what we call peace for our country. Um, I'm not having trouble right now. That's peace for me. Um, there's no hostility right now. That's peace. Uh, right now, I'm not under stress. That's the way the world views peace. But Jesus didn't view peace like that. In fact, the same night, a little bit later, if you look over in chapter 16, John chapter 16, uh, verse 33, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. So it's not the world's idea. The world's idea of peace is the absence of trouble. Jesus' idea of peace is something more than that. Even when you're having trouble, even when you're in conflict, even when people are not treating you right, even if you're being persecuted, you can have peace. Peace, the peace of the Bible is, I don't know, we could describe it as maybe an inner calm, tranquility, and confidence in God. Right? It's not just the negative side that there's nothing going on. It's that inside, no matter what's going on outside, inside we have the tranquility and the peace and the confidence in God. If you don't have confidence in God, you're not going to have real peace. So, in the middle of problems, in the middle of trials, temptations, 
family problems, whatever's going on, sufferings, afflictions, whatever you have going on in your life, in the middle of that, you can have peace, the peace of God. So first of all, I want to start off talking about four things that keep people from having the peace of God. And then at the end, we'll talk about what we can do positively to have the peace of God. The first thing that keeps people from having the peace of God is that they don't have peace with God. Look at Romans 5.1. And I'll explain what I mean by the difference, the difference between peace of God and peace with God. You know, Brady's always talking about the cross down here, and you have to have the vertical relationship before you can have the horizontal relationship. That's what I'm talking about with peace. You have to have the vertical relationship, the peace with God, before it can be out in your life as the peace of God. So Romans 5.1, Paul is writing, and chapter 4 is all about Abraham and how Abraham was justified by faith and how we also can be justified by faith. And Paul says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, the only way to have peace with God is to be justified by faith. If you've never been justified by faith, you cannot have peace with God. You do not have peace with God. If you look down at verse 10 in Romans 5 right there, it says that before we were justified by faith, we were enemies of God. So, enemies not at peace, right? But once we're justified by faith, and justified means we're declared righteous. When you put your faith in Christ, trust Him as your Savior, you will be declared righteous by God. That doesn't mean we never sin again. It means in his, our standing before Him is righteous. He gives us the righteousness of Jesus, and He gives Jesus our sin, which He died for on the cross. So we, you can't have peace of God till you have peace with God. If you've never been justified by faith, we're his enemies. Isaiah 57.20 says it like this. The wicked, or those who haven't been justified by faith, are like the tossing sea which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. No peace until you are justified by faith. But then Paul goes on to say, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We're no longer enemies. God doesn't view us as his enemies. He views us as his children, his beloved children. And we're not objects of wrath anymore. We're objects of peace. And he gives us his peace. So that's the first thing. To have the peace of God, you've got to have peace with God. You've got to be saved by faith and have peace with God. The second thing I think stops a lot of us from having peace, peace of the peace of God is unconfessed sin or cherished sin. If you have a sin in your life that you have not confessed or refused to confess and forsake, you're not ever going to have the peace of God. Um, 
Isaiah 48, 18 says, if only you had paid attention to my commands, this is the Lord speaking to Israel, if only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. So we can't have the peace of God as long as we're holding on to sin in our lives, as long as we're cherishing a sin or, you know, we have a sin that we're not willing to give up. We all sin, right? It's not about, I'm not saying if you ever sin again, you can't have the peace of God. If that were true, none of us could ever have the peace of God. But if we have a sin that we won't give up, then you're not going to have the peace of God with that. A perfect example of this is David. Twice the Bible tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. In fact, God described David as a man after his own heart. And David, everyone knows the story of David and Goliath and all his exploits and how he was the king of Israel. At the height of his success, David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then he uh, tried to cover it up and his cover-up didn't really work up, uh, didn't really work out. So he had Uriah, her husband, killed. He committed murder. So this man, who was a believer, a righteous man, committed adultery and murder. And uh, things were bad for him. If you want to read about that time in, in David's life, you can read Psalm 51, which is his uh, confession after it happened, or Psalm 32. And right now I want to read part of Psalm 32. You can turn there if you want, or you can just listen. I'll read it to you. Psalm 32, starting with verse 1. And remember, this is a psalm written by David about after this time in his life where, where he was in sin, where he had this sin that he tried to cover up. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Not covered up like secretly hidden, but covered by the blood of Christ. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and whose, in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Now does that sound like peace? Does that sound like the peace of God? My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped. He was miserable as long as he tried to cover up his sin. Then verse 5 he says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. God forgave the guilt of his sin. He was able to get rid of that guilt he got rid of the depression, the groaning, the heaviness, the wasting away feeling, the no strength feeling. Because he confessed his sin and got right with God again. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. That means he'll do it every time. He never fails. It's not like he's going to forget once or not feel like it once. He is faithful and just, which means righteous. He does the righteous thing, the right thing. 
If you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that moves us back to the place where we can have the peace of God. Another thing that I think keeps us from having the peace of God is that we fail to understand God's sovereignty and His purpose. Sovereignty is a a word we don't use a lot, but it basically means that God is in control of everything and He does whatever He wants. No one can stop Him from doing what He wants. No one can make Him do something He doesn't want to do. He is the ultimate authority and the ultimate power. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. That's what God says. Psalm 33, 11. The plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. So, God's purposes are secure. They're going to stand. God's purposes cannot be thwarted. He will do whatever he pleases. No one can stop his plan. And he's working out his plan in your life. Okay, and I don't mean this in a cavalier way, that God will do whatever he wants and he doesn't care about you. That's not at all what it means. He does care about you, and he wants to do what's best for you. Now, the perfect illustration of this is Joseph. Joseph in the Old Testament. Uh, remember, uh, his father was Jacob, or who later also was called Israel. And it, Joseph was his father's favorite. So, this is, if you want to read this later, it's Genesis 37 through 50. So, we're not going to read it right now. Uh, it's a little too lengthy, but um, he's... He's uh, Jacob's favorite. His father gives him the multicolored coat, which in those days was a big deal because there weren't a lot of colored materials. Okay? Most people just wore plain colors. He was a favorite. All his brothers knew he was a favorite. His brothers were jealous. They hated him. Um, they threw him in a pit. They tore his robe and put goat's blood on it or something and took it back to his dad and said, uh, we found this. Is this your son's robe? And of course, um, I wasn't really thinking about uh, Jacob when I prepared this, but think about that. This was his son, his favorite son, and he didn't find out for probably 20 years or more that his son was still alive. But the illustration is Joseph. So his brothers sell him, a caravan takes him to Egypt, he's a slave there. Uh, He works his way up as a slave, Um, and becomes in charge of Potiphar's household, who is his owner. Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him of rape, and he goes to prison, which is like he was probably in a dungeon. Not Not a nice place with cable TV and bunk beds with mattresses. Not that that would be a good prison to be in either, but... um, Anyway, the point is, all this stuff happened to him, He works his way up. He interprets a dream for Pharaoh. He becomes second in charge of Egypt. God reveals to him that he's going to send a famine. So for seven years, he saves up food. Then the seven years of famine starts. Joseph's family comes to Egypt to buy grain. 
And um, he ends up revealing himself. And his whole family, his father and his whole household comes to live in Egypt because there's food there. Eventually, their father dies, Jacob. They take him back to the promised land to bury him. And then Joseph's brothers are like, well, hey, we could be in big trouble now because this guy is very powerful. And, uh, you know, this was under uh, Pharaoh. Joseph was second. He could have him executed. Uh, it doesn't matter if there's a law or not. He was the law. He could have had them executed. So they come to him and they say, hey, uh, we just want you to know before our father died, he told us to tell you that you should forgive us and we'll be your servants. And Joseph's attitude was this. This is in Genesis 50, verse 19 and 20. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You don't have to worry. I'm not going to kill you. That's God. Life and death is in the hands of God. All right? I'm not in God's place. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So Joseph looked at this whole thing through the eyes of God's sovereignty. These were some horrific experiences, being sold as a slave, being in a dungeon, being falsely accused. But he doesn't say, look, you guys were mean to me and I suffered a lot, but eventually God changed things and twisted things around so it came out good. No, he says, God intended it for good. He saw the whole thing as God's plan to get him in the right place to make sure there were food so his family could be preserved. And sometimes we just don't understand that. Jesus had the same attitude when he stood before Pilate in John 19. Pilate asked him a question and he didn't answer. And Pilate said, do you refuse to answer me? Don't you know that I have the power of life and death over you? And Jesus said, you wouldn't have any power over me at all if it wasn't given to you from above. So we need to view things in the light of God's sovereignty. And when we don't, we lose out on our chance to have peace. The fourth thing, I think, that causes us not to have the peace of God, and this is where I think most of us struggle. This is where I struggle. I'm, I know that I have peace with God. I've been saved through Christ's work on the cross, not through anything I did. I know that God is sovereign. I know that up here. I know that everything he does is part of his plan. I know that he promised to make everything work together for my good. Since I'm loved, I love him and I'm the called according to his purpose. Where I fall short is I focus on the circumstances. We focus on the problems and the circumstances that causes us to lose out on the peace of God. So we need to look at those circumstances in the light of God's sovereignty and not just focus on the problems. This week, uh, I, had, I was looking, I, something was going to happen for me. I was looking forward to it. I didn't really know when. I was expecting it. I was really excited about it. I knew it was going to happen soon. And uh, this week, I got an email telling me that that's not going to happen. So uh, I kind of went through the whole, um, oh, the five stages of loss or whatever, all in about a minute. The first thing I did was I said, well, this, this isn't right. This is wrong. It can't be happening. 
because I knew this was going to happen. And then I got angry because I deserved it. And this should have happened for me, and this just isn't right. And then I started like getting depressed and doing the little pity party, woe is me, and nothing ever goes my way. And then, you know, God kind of just like did the V8 slap uh, and said, what, what have you been studying about? What are you preparing to speak on? And I, I know this thing, if you knew what it was, you'd go, why would you worry about that? Why would you be upset about that? But to me, it was important. And, and I know some of you have bigger problems and bigger stresses than that. But the point is, God is working in our lives and things happen because that's the way he wants them. And once I thought of that, I had peace about it. And it wasn't the kind of peace like, oh, well, okay, I know it's God's will. I actually was excited um, because I realized that, hey, if that would have happened, that wouldn't have been good for me. I was excited. I thought it would be really cool, but I found out that, no, that, that wouldn't be good for me. That's why God didn't let it happen, because he loved me, so it's good that it didn't happen. And I actually, I actually had peace about it, and I kind of got excited about it. So how do we do that, though? How do we focus on the right things? Uh, one more, uh, well, first of all, we have to yield ourselves every day to the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. Many of you probably have this memorized. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, right? Peace is part of the fruit of the Spirit. How does fruit appear in our lives? How does fruit appear in nature? It doesn't just appear. It, it grows, right? It has to be cultivated. It takes time to grow. And so God makes the fruit of the Spirit grow in our lives. So every day we have to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And we have to obey God. Righteousness and peace are tied together. Uh, Isaiah 32, 17, the fruit of righteousness will be peace. Hebrews 12, 11 talks about discipline from God isn't pleasant, but it produces the peaceful fruit of righteousness. James 3, 18 connects righteousness and peace. Psalms 85, 8, Isaiah 48, 18, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. All those connect peace and righteousness. Then, most importantly, I think, we need to turn our troubles and fears and worries over to God in prayer. And I'd like to ask you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. I want to look at this real quick, and then I'll be done. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. So not big things, not little things. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, uh -oh, my pages are stuck together, sorry. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. So, we need to turn those things, whatever you're worried about, Turn it over to God in prayer. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will keep your hearts and mind. It'll guard your heart. It'll protect your heart and your mind. But we have to turn it over to Him in prayer. Um, and then in verse 8 and 9, 
he goes on to say, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Uh, Put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So we have to turn our worries, whatever, whatever you're worried about, if you're worried about something, let that be a sign to you like a bright flashing light saying, you need to pray. I'm worried. You need to pray. Turn it over to God. And then he says to think about all those things. And where are those things found? In the Bible. In the Bible. We need to saturate our lives with God's word. Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have they who love your law. So, If you love the Word of God and you're putting it into your life, that's connected with having the peace of God. So we need to turn ourselves, yield our lives to the Holy Spirit, pray about whatever is bothering us, and meditate on the Word of God. So you can see what the Word of God has to say about whatever your problem is. Memorize those verses and think about them. We need to saturate our lives with the Word of God. So... Then Paul goes on there in Philippians chapter 4 to say, he talks about prayer, don't be anxious, but pray, then think about all these things. Then he goes on down and talks about uh, how he can be poor or he can have plenty and whatever state he's in, he's learned to be content, which is the same thing as peace. And that famous verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he's talking about Whatever circumstances, I can be content, and I can do that through Christ who strengthens me. Again, I know this is simple. Yield yourself to the Holy Spirit, pray, and meditate on the Word of God. It sounds simple, uh, but it, it's not simple to do. There's no, the answer is not difficult. It's just performing that's difficult. And we have to continuously do that. So every time, every time you're worried... You need to stop and say, Lord, I'm turning this over to you. I know you're working in this. I don't know what your will is. I'm sure when Joseph was sold as a slave, he had no idea what was coming. But I'm turning it over to you. And I'm going to trust you. The reason we pray, right, is because we trust God. I trust you to work out your will in my life. Let's pray. Uh, Father... I know what I said may sound simplistic, but I believe it. And I believe that if we yield ourselves to you and pray when we're worried, that you will give us your peace. And we can have the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. You give us your peace. You don't give as the world gives. You give true peace. You give lasting peace. And I pray for those who are struggling here today with worry and anger and anxiety, that you just work in their lives and help them to grow. Lord, I know it's not always a sudden thing. It sometimes takes time and it's growth over time. But I pray that they would start today to grow and to experience the peace of God in their lives. In your son's name. I mean, think about it. We, we appreciate guys like Roy and his wife, who's on the police force as well, who serve us so that we might have peace 
they're keepers of the peace. So this morning here, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to, um, I want you to stand up. And we're going to take just a few moments to, to just ask for God to give you peace in your heart right now. And whatever it is that's going on, while, while you're doing that, we have the servers that are here. We have the ushers. Are you guys ready to go? All right. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll give you some instructions real quick before we, uh, before we take some time. The instructions are going to be like this. You're going to go to your right when we give you, the, give you the call. You can put the trays down if you want. You're going to go to your right. And you're going to come around here this way. And you're going to drop off your offering if you've come prepared to give this morning. And if you are someone who has to have gluten-free, then we have a provision for you right here as well, right here between the offering baskets. Drop off your offering basket, and then you're going to come take one of the cups, take some bread. And so there's two different places you can go so you're not just backed up in one line. Go, and then just go back to your seat. So we'll take the first rows first, and then you'll fill in, and we'll do that all the way to the back. And then once everybody has their, their juice and their bread, then we'll celebrate that together. So right now, I just want you to bow your or heads and close your eyes. So Father, we come to you and we just think about what Jesus was doing before he gave this teaching on peace. He washed his disciples' feet. He celebrated the Passover meal. And he took that meal and transformed it into what it is we celebrate today. He transformed it into us remembering his body that he was about ready to offer to remember his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sin. Scripture says without Jesus's blood being poured out, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And without forgiveness, there is no peace. So right now, I pray that you would reveal to us what it is that is keeping us from your peace today. In a sense, we'd allow you to wash our hands so that we can come and eat. If there are those here this morning that have never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be their Savior, to be the Lord, to be the one who wants to to rule over their life, that they would do it right now, that they would call out to you. And the Bible says when everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. And that they would know because of their faith in Jesus, they're welcome at the table that they would experience the greatest amount of peace that we can ever experience this side of heaven, and that is forgiveness of our sin and eternal life with you. That's the reason we gather in church, and so that we can receive it and then go give that message away to others. So bring your peace as we remember what Jesus has done for us. So ushers, when you're ready to begin to dismiss. Once again, you're going to go to your right. It's a great time to just be thanking God for what he's doing in your life. You've got some anxiety that's going on. Give it to him as you come forward. We were blessed with some special people in our church that donated the money for us to buy these trays and to have these things available for us. We've learned to adapt over time how to do this a little differently because as our church has grown, we've had to do things a little different, and that's, that's great. That's good stuff. 
But no matter how we receive the bread and no matter how we receive the cup, the meaning is the same. And it's been the same for centuries. When Jesus that night that says in the, the scripture that it was the night that he was betrayed, he, he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks for it and he offered it to the Lord. And he said, this is my body. He said, this body is going to be broken for you. Little did the disciples know what he really meant by that. But on the other end of the cross, they got it, didn't they? They realized what Jesus did for them. See, we stand this morning on the other end of the cross. And we see what Jesus went through for us. And you know, Jesus, on the night before that he was uh, brought into trial, he cried out in the garden. He said, God, if there's any other way for this cup to pass from me, but nevertheless, it's your will be done. And maybe this morning you're here and you say, is there any other way, God? <laughs> what I'm going through in my life right now, the pain that I'm experiencing. But there's so much peace when you say, God, but it's your will. Whatever you want to do with me and through me, I'm willing. So when we think about Jesus giving his body, think about the offering of yourself to him. And we give thanks for what Jesus did. So take and eat. And then it says in scripture, in the same way, giving thanks, Jesus says this cup, this cup of redemption that we share together is a new covenant. It's a new binding agreement between God and man that through the shedding of blood, man has access to the Father. And so when we drink this cup, we remember that Jesus paid the ultimate price so that we can experience the ultimate peace that only comes through knowing him. So take and drink. I'm going to close in prayer. And then as you're leaving this morning, there'll be a couple trash cans available at each door for you to uh, deposit your cups into. So, Father, we come to you and we thank you for this incredible gift of life that is through faith in Jesus. God, I thank you for those who are able to give this morning and that this offering that they have given is just a a small way of saying thank you for all that you've done for us. God, I pray that we would be good stewards with this money, that we would take it, we'd pour into our community so that other people can come and fill these seats and not just fill these seats, but so that we can go out And we can help fill hearts with the peace that only comes through knowing who Jesus is. We praise you and we thank you. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Take an opportunity to get to know someone around you if it's an unfamiliar face. And uh, make sure that you're blessed today as you go. Thank you. We'll see you next week.